Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Welcome back, Bible Center family. It's so great to have you here. Those of you who are here with us in person, uh, those who are joining online or on TV, it's great to have you back. If you're new, we like to say we're a family expecting guests. And so if you came as a guest, it's our desire that you will leave as a friend. I'm Matt, I'm the lead pastor, and I'll be down front after the service. If you've got any questions about getting connected, any burdens on your heart, I'd love to pray with you and answer any questions that you may have. Before we start, I want to talk just a minute about Trunk or Treat. I know Pastor Matt Garrison has already mentioned it in his announcements, but I want to mention it again. You have two big opportunities to uh, participate in this event. One is to bring candy. You saw the truck out in the lobby, and it's our goal to fill that truck up four times. I know we all bring our own candy whenever we hand it out at our cars, uh, but what we've learned is that none of us, me included, ever bring enough candy, and so we always have to supply candy to folks. We have thousands, upwards of three, four, one year we had close to 5,000 people on our campus at once, and so I invite you to bring candy. Also invite you to decorate a car. Even if you don't uh, decorate it, just bring it, and the children really don't care how you're dressed up, how your car is decorated. They have their mind on one thing and one thing only, and that is the candy. And so even if you just stand at your trunk and pass out candy, you'll be a blessing. And maybe you're wondering, why am I mentioning again if it was already in the announcements? Well, the big reason is Pastor Steve Neal, who's doing a phenomenal job downstairs with our children, uh, just anything he puts his hand to, to just seems to flourish I'm so thankful for Pastor Steve, but he sent kind of out a, a big all points bulletin this morning, letting all of our pastors and shepherds know that he needs help. We need at least 100 cars to supply the need for those who are coming. And right now we have 12 signed up, 12 cars. And so he doesn't want to be standing there literally holding the bag of candy uh, alone. So we need to join him. Again, just plan, sign up on the app, bring a car. The second thing is the candy. Uh, We typically need, again, four truckloads of the candy to help meet the need. And right now we're at about a half a truckload, the last time I looked coming in. And we have 14 days to do it. And so I'm asking you, the church, to help me help Steve. Let's help Pastor Steve. You say, why are we doing this event? The number one reason is to meet our neighbors. It's impossible to love our neighbors if we've never met them. And so it's a great way every year we have people to connect to the church. Even some in this service right now have connected to Bible Center through Trunk or Treat in the past and ultimately to connect them to Jesus Christ. And so will you join me even right after the service today? Let's not wait another day. Let's go buy out Walmart of candy and fill up our truck. Let's bless Pastor Steve. Sign up on the app and I would be grateful for your encouragement to him. Today's message is entitled, Four uh, Four Myths About Singleness. And we're going to be looking at these myths, but also the truths that set us free. And I want to mention one more time that today's message is PG-ish, PG-13-ish, somewhere in between. We're by no means going to be descriptive, but we use a lot of words that the Bible uses uh, over and over and over again. And so I would have no problem with my nine-year-old son setting in this service, but I just wanted again uh, to let you know that. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation to you is to Christ. Almost all of my messages from this platform are for Christians. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm called to equip the church 
the saints for the work of the ministry. But in every one of my messages, I make sure to present the gospel. So if you're here today, the invitation isn't to church. The invitation isn't to uh, baptism. The invitation to you, if you're not saved, is to Christ. And there'll be a word of hope for you at the end of my message. Uh, One thing to Christians, those of us who are here, we're going to be hearing it through a lot of different lenses. Married people are going to hear this sermon differently than perhaps a single man or a single woman will hear it. And so if you will, ask God to open your heart uh, by faith to receive his word. The authority is God's word, right? On any subject, I'm not the authority, you're not the authority, the authority is the word of God. And so let's just trust God's word even when we may not understand or want to accept uh, God's word. If you don't yet have the app, you're going to want to get the app. There's a lot there for you, but one of my favorite parts, being the preacher, are the sermon notes. And so, so many of you are visual learners. If you like to follow along, uh, many of the notes are there on the app. One last announcement. If you're a reader, this particular book, I read it this past week, Seven Myths About Singleness. It is a beautiful book. It really helped inform a lot about what I was already going to say in this message. Even the title of my sermon I adapted. We're not going to do seven myths, uh, but we are going to do four myths. So feel free to check out that book. And uh, not only for you, but maybe for a single man or woman in your life looking for answers. Let's take a test. Let me start today by giving you a test. Now, some of you love tests. When I say test or quiz, you teachers in the room, man, you just, you're, you just begin to salivate. You're so excited to give a test. Now, for the rest of us, we begin to sweat. We're a little nervous, right? Tests are not all that great. But I want today to give you a test. Here's the test. It's three questions, true or false. That's it. Three questions, true or false. Number one, the tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest, true or false? It's actually false. It's the highest mountain in the world, but it's not the tallest. The tallest mountain in the world is the Pacific Ocean near Hawaii. It's in the Pacific Ocean near Hawaii, one of the islands. From bottom to top, it's actually taller than Mount Everest. It's just not high in the altitude like Mount Everest. Here's another one, true or false? You have two, this is easy, right? You have two nostrils. True or false? It's actually false. You have four nostrils, two on the outside and two on the inside. So you have four, not two. You say, Matt, this is getting weird. Okay, I'll give you an easy one. Christopher Columbus discovered America. True or false? Right, that one obviously is false. He was not the first person to discover America, but uh, we know that people uh, from Asia most likely crossed the Bering Strait, what we now call Alaska, and settled this land we call the United States of America. Therefore, we use the term Native Americans. But even Europeans, 500 years before Christopher Columbus, Leif Erikson landed on the Canadian coast. Again, 500 years before Columbus landed in the Bahamas. And so there's a lot of myths. I encourage you to Google it. I had a lot of fun this week looking at all the different myths that we commonly believe and even some that I have tried to teach to my children. Now I know I'm wrong about some of these things. But we do the same thing with singleness. There are a lot of myths that we, the Church of Christ, have come to believe over the years and that we've shared over the years about our single brothers and sisters that unfortunately just are not true. If you're married today, I ask you to keep an open mind and open heart about maybe some myths about singleness that you have believed that just aren't true. 
If you're single today, I ask you to give me feedback. Many of you have my cell phone number. We're on, on social media. Let me know if there's something I could say better. I'm going to do the very best I can with the authority of God's Word to teach what God's Word says. But my prayer is that this message will be a refreshment to your soul. Let's look at the four myths. Number one, here's the first one. Singleness is bad while only marriage is good. Singleness is bad while only marriage is good. Have you ever noticed how we almost always define singleness in the negative, right? Someone is either married or unmarried, right? Why don't we say they are either single or unsingle? Why do we define it one way but not the other? Unfortunately, this negative definition of singleness has reinforced the idea that there is nothing intrinsically good about singleness. Sometimes we insinuate that it's almost deficient. This, this, uh, this past week, I was talking with some of my single brothers and sisters, and, and they were telling me that one of the hardest things to do is start up a conversation with a new person, someone they don't know. And I never thought about it until this week, but why is that so hard? And they said, whenever you meet somebody new, what's almost always the first question you ask? Do you have a family? Right? And we don't mean by that, do you have cousins and uncles and aunts? You know, in West Virginia, we're all related anyway. But what we mean by that is, is, are you married? Do you have kids? And I just hadn't thought about it. They said it's almost like a, if you're married and somebody says, do you have a family? It's almost like a, a conversational interstate. All these roads can go a thousand ways in the conversation. But if you're single, they say it's like a conversational cul-de-sac. You got to do like those awkward 14-point turns to get out of those things sometimes. And it's like, oh, you're not married? You don't have kids? I'd never thought about it that way before. So let's look at the truth. Truth number one, God calls both marriage and singleness good. They're both good. However, single Christians often have more freedom to serve the Lord. Not always, but often. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, when I was growing up in the religious tradition that I lived in, uh, I was taught that to be single required this special, unusual gift. They called it the gift of singleness. And that's true and it's untrue at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. It is true that there's a gift of singleness but in context, in verse chapter 7, there's also a gift of marriage. And actually, if we were to translate this word gift uh, to fit our vernacular, it's the word grace in the Greek. So literally, all Paul is saying there is it requires grace to be single, and it requires grace to be married. That's all Paul is saying in context. In verse 28, he says, But if you marry, you have not sinned. So in the first century church, there were some who were trying to teach that not only singleness is bad, but marriage is bad. Paul's like, no, 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 no. They're both good. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, was Paul a critic of marriage? Not at all. The most beautiful anthem on Christian marriage was written by the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 5. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, Paul went head-to-head -head with the false teachers of his day, and I think he would go head-to-head -head with the false teachers of our day. Paul said that if anybody 
teaches that marriage is wrong, they are actually a false teacher. That's pretty bold. Kind of think about that, how that might apply in our context. First Timothy chapter four, Paul said marriage is a gift, but Paul was also a realist. Paul was also saying, yes, marriage is a gift, just like singleness is a gift, but hey, let's face it, marriage isn't easy. When Sarah and I do premarital counseling with a couple, uh, we have 20 questions. We usually read a book together when we have the extended period of time. Uh, we read a book together, we do 20 questions, and we talk about some of the spiritual implications of the gospel in their life. But these 20 questions usually take several, several sessions, and our goal almost always is to start a fight. You're like, Pastor, that sounds terrible. Why would you do that? Oh, Sarah and I are really good. After 21 years of marriage, we know how to start a fight, right? And so we're just like, we work together. We're like two wolves, right? We're sitting there, and, and our goal is to ask questions so hard that somebody looks at the other one and goes, I didn't know that. You never told me that. And we want it to be good and juicy. So that way, if they, we want to see, can they learn to dissolve conflict, resolve conflict on this side of the wedding before they get to the other side of the wedding. Because let's face it, marriage is hard. Paul was no critic of marriage, but he was a realist. Notice what he says in verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. Paul, a single man, says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. This is not a bad word. He's not saying worldliness, as in 1 John. He's talking about human concerns. What are those human concerns? How she can please her husband, which is a goal a calling of God for the husband to his wife and the wife toward her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is not saying that marriage is bad and singleness is good either. He's simply comparing it like this. He is saying that there's a complexity to marriage while usually there's a, there's a simplicity to singleness. Married life, according to Paul, is more complicated. Singleness is often more straightforward. Single men and women are often able to serve others in a way that married people cannot. Some of the greatest servants in our church, think about our church or think about churches you've been a part of over the years. Not always, but often. Some of the most faithful, devoted servants of the Lord are single men and women. What a gift they are to our church and a gift they are to the body of Christ. So let's not believe the myth that singleness is bad and that marriage is good, but instead, let's remember they're both good. However, single Christians do have an advantage at times. They have more freedom to serve the Lord. Number two, the other myth, our second of four myths. Singleness means no family. Singleness means no family. This past week, I heard the story of, it's not two people not in our church, but two Christian people, younger single gentleman was talking to a, an older married woman, and she was talking about her family and her kids and, and how all of her kids are married and there's one left in the, in the home. 
and the older woman told the single young man, she said, yeah, but she's engaged. Therefore, the, all of my kids are sorted, sorted. I had never heard that before, but some people in the first service had said that's kind of a, an older term. But to me, it sounds like, you know, you've got a big bucket of mail and you're like sorting it in various slots, right? And so essentially she was insinuating and she didn't mean to do this. Sometimes we say things that hurt people. We don't mean to say, but they'd still hurt people. And so this brother was just saying that, you know, it, it, I really felt to me like she was saying I was like a piece of mail that wasn't yet sorted. And so we want to try to be careful. We want to try to love people well. Here's a truth that will help us love people well. Jesus elevates our spiritual family above our physical family. Jesus actually defined family along spiritual lines more than he did along biological lines. Notice this in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This infuriated the Jewish culture, just like it kind of infuriates our West Virginia culture. Right? Family is a big deal. Bloodline, blood's thicker than water. But Jesus elevated family to include our spiritual family, not just our physical family. Now, does that mean that we're supposed to ignore our spouse and ignore our children, to ignore our parents, to ignore our cousins? Maybe your cousins, but not, your, not, the, not the other people, right? God invites us to, he's not saying ignore your family biologically, He's just telling us to widen the circle. Widen the circle. Think of how you care for your own. And what Jesus says is, expand that circle to love other Jesus followers in the same way you love and care for your own. Bethany Jenkins wrote, she says this, as a Christian, I worship a man who was a biologically childless parent. Jesus never married, never had kids, yet he said, behold, I and the children God gave me. Jesus never held a son or daughter in his arms, but he nonetheless came to bear children, to give birth to a people like me and perhaps you who now bear his family resemblance. If you're a Jesus follower, whether you be single or married, you are part of the family of God. It is an eternal family. And long after the biological bloodlines that run deep in our culture, long after they're gone, the church of Jesus Christ will live on. Be encouraged by that. Number three, the third myth of the four. Singleness wastes your sexuality. Singleness wastes your sexuality. I'm gonna need a drink of water for this one. You can take notes. According to the scriptures, God calls single men and women to be committed to sexual abstinence. The Bible is clear that sex outside of marriage is sinful, something that is underlined in the teaching of Jesus. To be single, according to Jesus, 
is to be called to abstinence, either until a future marriage or until the resurrection. Now, this is very different than the culture around us. Think about how the culture around us views what I just said. Like, it's beyond antique, right? It's beyond outdated. But that is what Jesus teaches, as we'll see in a moment. Think about some of the movies that were popular a number of years ago. Things like 40-Year-Old Virgin. Someone who is, who is abstinent is almost seen as not just weird, but almost dangerous. As I talk with other Christian leaders, not only in our community, but on the East Coast and some of the circles I run in, as I talk to Christian leaders, I'm appalled by how many are now saying or insinuating almost as if that in the New Testament, Jesus was lax on sexual calling. Jesus was lax on sexual standard. Oh, they'll tell you that the Old Testament was filled with all kinds of rigid rules and laws, but they almost kind of want to say that, well, you know, Jesus, he just loved everybody, and he's just relaxed on sexual standards. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. All we, all we have is a Bible. All we have is the Holy Spirit. Let's just let Jesus speak. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus was talking specifically to the religious Jewish leaders of his day who were arguing over ceremonial washings and cleansings. We don't really have that issue specifically as much today. Uh, But he uses in his list of evil thoughts sexual immorality. If you're taking notes, the Greek word here is pornea, pornea, from where we get our word pornography. In Jesus's day, pornea clearly referred to any sexual behavior outside of marriage. It would have included premarital sex, prostitution, and same-sex behavior. Such sexual activity, Jesus said, defiles us. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Jesus is not so tolerant after all. Now, that's just one example. There are others in the Sermon on the Mount. There are others in Jesus' number of sermons that you can read in the New Testament. That's just one example. So maybe you have the question, what about grace? What about grace? Let's think about that for a moment. What about grace? Right? Do we not believe that Jesus Christ, his blood, washes us from all sin? Do we not believe that there's grace for sinners? Absolutely we do. Think about the story in John 8. I don't know if this is in your notes, but in John 8, you've got a woman who's caught in adultery. The religious leaders catch her in adultery and they start to stone her. That that always puzzled me because I'm like, why didn't they stone the person she was with if she was caught in adultery? But that's for another sermon. But they're gonna stone her, right? They got the rocks. Literally, they're gonna stone her to death. She's there Jesus comes on the scene and he walks up, sets down beside her and he begins to write something in the sand. I don't know what he wrote in the sand. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he wrote their names or the names of their lovers that he knew they had been with. Maybe Jesus wrote the dates that they had been with their lovers. Maybe Jesus wrote their internet history in the sand. I don't know, right? But whatever he wrote, it embarrassed them that it was now made public and they all left. I can just picture them hightailing it out of there. They did not want any part of this. They all left. 
Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And the woman looks back up at Jesus. You can just picture through tears. She says, uh, she looks back up at Jesus. She said, they've all left. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. That's a, that's a nice way of saying, I offer you grace. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you salvation. Let's stop there just for a moment. I would like you to see yourself as the woman in the sand right now. Every single one of us are the woman in the sand. Every one of us need the grace of Christ. If Jesus was going to give every one of us what we deserve, whether it be for sexual sin, whether it be for sexual thoughts, there is not one of us in this room who would stand. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Yes, he gives her grace. Yes, he gives her forgiveness. But remember what Jesus said to her as she left? He said, go and what? Sin no more. I am so glad to be a part of a church that is filled with grace. But may we also always be a church that is filled with truth. I want anybody to feel welcome sitting in these seats. When you come into these seats, I want you to feel as though you're not the oddball, but that even the lead pastor is, is just like the woman in John 8 who needs the grace of Christ. I want you to feel that way. I don't want there to be anybody who feels like I'm too big of a sinner to sit in these seats. But may we also remember that all we have is a Bible. And if we believe and teach the Bible, if you sit in these seats, you're going to hear a lot about grace. But you're also going to hear Jesus say, go and sin no more. Marriage isn't for everyone, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 12. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. Jesus elevates singleness to a level far beyond what was accepted in his Jewish day. Now to the unmarried and the widow, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than burn with passion. That's our middle school boy's favorite verse. But it's still in the Bible. So where does that leave single people today? Where does that leave single people with, with their sexuality? Uh, there's a movement sweeping. If you haven't heard it, it's coming to our area. If it's not already here, there's a movement that says, if you're single, don't waste your sexuality. They say God created you with your sexuality and God certainly wouldn't want you to waste it. Well, what do we say to that? There's, there's two verses and I'm just gonna cover them briefly. One is Ephesians 5.31. In Ephesians 5.31, Paul says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I love Paul because Paul so desperately tried to be, Paul was a, a man of class. Paul was a man of dignity. He used a lot of words and terms. So that way, in mixed audiences, as these letters were read, it wouldn't sound too, too crass. But Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 isn't just about marriage. It's about sex. 
what Paul is saying here in two places that not only does marriage, we have no problem saying marriage pictures Jesus in the church, but Paul is saying something more than that symbolizes it, and it's sex. The uniting of a man and a woman is a picture of the gospel. And so the reason we invite, the reason I invite and call and pray for the purity of my children, and the reason that you call and pray and invite the purity of your children, and the reason God calls all of us to a higher sexual ethic is because sex in any form is designed to picture the purity of Jesus' church. And so when a man and woman participate in the act outside of marriage, essentially, they're taking something that's very pure and to symbolize something that's very godly and eternal, and they're using it in a way that requires no commitment, no covenant. It's more about receiving often than it is about giving. And so that's why we say, you're not wasting your sexual your sexuality if you're single. Another reason we would say that is Matthew 22 and verse 30. Jesus said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. When a Christian single seeks to reserve his or her sexuality, either for a future marriage or to abstain until the resurrection, they are becoming a walking billboard of a future reality. In a way that a married man or married woman cannot, a celibate Christian single or a Christian single who from this point forward will say, God, help me to reserve my sexuality for a future marriage or reserve my sexuality for the resurrection, a Christian single is declaring to a world that is obsessed with sex and lust, that there is something greater than sex and lust. They are declaring that there's coming a day where all will be made new and that the act of sex was intended to point to something pure and clean and that they're going to wait until that day when God makes all things new. Here's the truth that will help all of us sexuality and intimacy are not the same thing. God wants every Christian to experience intimacy with him and other believers. However, God wants single Christians to abstain from sex until marriage or until the resurrection. Intimacy and sexuality are not the same thing. Think about it with me. In our hookup culture today, there's a lot of sex going on, right? But I would argue there's really not a lot of intimacy going on. Those two are not synonymous. And so what I want you to hear is that you serve a God who right now, not to wait until you get married, not to wait until heaven, you have a God who today wants you to experience intimacy with other brothers and sisters in Christ. As a matter of fact, I didn't know it until this week. When Jesus was looking for a picture to describe that the, the highest calling of love, Jesus did not use marriage. I was surprised by this. I've never seen this verse in this way. But he used another image, John 15, 13. He says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I like what David said about his best friend, Jonathan, after Jonathan had died. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. 
Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. I think this actually speaks more about David's problems relationally with women than it does about his relationship with Jonathan. But nevertheless, God wants you to experience intimacy with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Number four, and lastly, our last myth, singleness is not easy. Singleness is not easy. Ask a, ask a fellow, uh, ask a brother or sister in Jesus, if they're single, ask them if they find it easy or difficult. And depending on who you talk to, there's different levels of difficulty and different levels of ease. Uh, for instance, uh, some of my single brothers and sisters, they've told me this week, they find it challenging to go to a wedding. And then I'm thinking of one in particular that doesn't find it at all challenging. Like, I love weddings. I love seeing people get married. And often they're the first person out on the dance floor. So this isn't for everybody. But ask a single friend or relative about things that may be hard with their singleness. Things like wedding showers, baby showers, child dedications, sermon series on marriage or sex. You guys remember that sermon series I did about three or four years ago on the Song of Solomon? I remember it well and hope I never have to do it again right? But you go through those series, and those are important to the church. We have to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. But it's just good for us to know with compassionate hearts that while we may be talking to one group in our church, another group may just find it challenging. Doesn't mean we change the truth. Doesn't mean we be quiet. But we just need to know that. Check boxes on forms like the doctor's office. Check married or single. I have not thought about that in 21 years since I've been married. But for some, it's hard to check single. Entering a party alone, entering a church alone. If you're here today and you're single, I want to assure you that being married isn't easy either. As I've already said a moment ago, it requires the grace of Christ. But here's my closing truth. Here's the closing truth. This is something that that Sarah and I discussed this week. I think it needs to be declared. Singleness isn't hard singleness is impossible. Marriage isn't hard. Marriage is impossible. Only Jesus is sufficient. Sam Albury said that if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. May we remember that we serve a Savior who was single. Jesus understands the difficulty of singleness and all the temptations that go along with it. But Jesus chose to be human. Jesus chose to be single. And Jesus chose to be the sacrifice for your sins. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, the invitation to you is to come to Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Jesus says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Our prayer for you is that you become a follower of Jesus right where you sit. Many people put that into the form of their own words, a prayer. When I became a Christian, I don't remember the words I prayed, but I remember asking Jesus, forgive my sin. Help me to be a follower of you. Change me from the inside out. But Christian, whether you be single or married, remember Jesus is sufficient for you as well. Jesus is the one who said, without me, you can do nothing. 
Jesus is the one who said in John chapter 6, in, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We come together every week as a church, and we take communion. One of the reasons we do that is to remember every week that we need Jesus. When we eat the bread, we remember the satisfaction that only comes through Christ. When we drink the juice, we remember the forgiveness of our sins that only comes through Christ. And so here's my takeaway. I want to leave you with this today. Find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. If you're young, find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. If you're old, find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. If you're a student, find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. If you're single, you're like, oh man, when I get married, everything's gonna be great. Find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. If you're married, find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. The call to all of us is the gospel call. Come to Christ. You say, Matt, why is this so important? It's because God calls both marriage and singleness good. It's because Jesus elevates our spiritual family above our physical family. It's because sexuality and intimacy are not the same thing. And it's because singleness is impossible, just like marriage is impossible without Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus is sufficient. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 